right. Well, good morning, peeps. Thank you guys for joining us here once again on the Daily Chills live stream. And of course, shout out to anybody later on listening on the podcast or listening on the YouTube channel. Feel bad for you listening on the podcast, though. You're not able to experience the glory of this background behind me. I'm hanging out with my boy, Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman himself, a.k.a. G.A. Powell, as he prefers to go by. Give it a nice fat thumbs up after this inflation report that we just got on Friday. Uh, so we've got a lot of inflation reports lately. we got the big one that everybody was waiting for on Friday, even though we did talk about this to close last week. So uh, we'll dive right into that in just a couple of minutes. But before we get into anything, it is currently 11.37 a.m. Eastern Time on this beautiful Monday, January 29th, 2024. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope we're all ready to create a ton of shareholder value this week. I know that's what gets me up out of bed. There's nothing I love doing more. Uh, than making my shareholders wealthier. That's it. That's all that I'm here for. Speaking of, we'll dive into some stock movements today that really are trying to make their shareholders wealthier and a lot poorer. Uh, we also got a, quite a lot of videos, or at least two videos that we're going to show associated with that later on. So definitely make sure to stick around with that. It's some great content. And what's more fun than making fun of Intel, quite honestly. So definitely stick around for that. And then, of course, we have some new VCs on the block. We have some new heads of the venture capital industry on the block. We'll dive into exactly what's going on there. Uh, but first and foremost, let's go ahead and take a look at the market snapshot for last Friday. So shout out to WSO Alpha. Had a relatively strong day. Solid outperformance on the session. Uh, thanks to our guy, Airbnb. We'll, of course, talk about Airbnb just a little bit later on. That is one of our uh, what's right names for the day that really pushed us to outperform on Friday. We're still down on the year. Once again, the market gods are probably punishing us. We're talking a little bit too much shit about how easy it is to beat the S&P 500. Uh, we're currently underperforming by about 20 bips. I'm sure that's going to change shortly enough, despite the room temperature IQs over at WSO Alpha. Overall, looking decently good. Bitcoin and Ethereum officially in the red for the year now, uh, after selling off ever since that little bump that was created from the Bitcoin ETF launch. Still above 40,000 mark for Bitcoin, above 2,200 for ETH, both key levels. So definitely stay tuned on those, but they are down for the year. All right, then diving into some banana bits for the day. Uh, we do the FactSet Insight Report first and foremost. Shout out to FactSet for being absolute gods over there and sending out this Insight Report. Basically, they sum up everything that's going on with earnings so far. They send it out on a daily basis every time there's a big uh, like group of earnings that come out, which is typically every day during earnings season besides Monday and Friday. Everybody likes to report in the middle of the week so that you're distracted with your daily life and you don't actually pay enough attention to their numbers that they actually release. So... Definitely a great thing to keep track of there. We're a quarter of the way to S&P 500 companies reporting. Uh, and it's for the first time ever, the 69% is not nice in this case. It's actually lower than the average in terms of uh, beating uh, earnings per share forecast. Definitely go ahead and check out that report there. And of course, you chart lovers are going to absolutely love this. Uh, so Daily Chartbook, they're another group of absolute gods over there. They pump out a bunch of charts every day. We use them a lot for our charts and the stories that we cover and everything here. So this list that they published is just a list of a bunch of charts from earnings season so far. Even more helpful than the uh, Facts and Insight Report. Definitely check out those two links right there. It's a chartist dream. And then, of course, the Treasury has given us a big update here. The QRA, uh, I believe it's the quarterly refunding something. I don't really know too much about it, but I'm going to do a lot of research on it here today so that we can write about it there tomorrow for you guys. Definitely stay tuned on that because Treasury financing needs are arguably one of the most important things going forward, especially as we have uh especially as we have you know uh another government deck or another uh, government shutdown looming for march here so definitely something to pay attention to and then of course finally big pharma companies have a lot of key patents or a lot of key drugs that are seeing their patents expire relatively soon we cannot wait to see what kind of scumbaggery they get into to make sure that 
uh, they're still able to, you know, rake in profits from those drugs themselves, despite the fact that generics will now be allowed to be produced. We can't wait to see it. Definitely stay tuned for that. All right, but let's just get into the major macro story of the day. Jay Powell was absolutely flexing his abs on Friday. He was showing off his core in the form of PCE inflation. So you guys know this, but in case uh, we have any new listeners or new YZs out there, we got a couple of big inflation reports here in the United States. The first one that gets the most headline attention is the CPI, Consumer Price Index. But the Fed's preferred measure is the Personal Consumption Expenditures Report. There's a little bit of a difference between the two, between especially the weightings of items in the basket and the frequency of how often the weightings are actually changed up. But that's all that we're talking about here. The PCE, essentially, they take a basket of average consumer expenses, uh, track the price changes, you know, month to month, year to year, quarter to quarter. And they update that, they rebalance it on a monthly or quarterly basis, whereas the CPI is a uh, maximum two times per year. So that's why the Fed tends to prefer that. They still, of course, prefer the core inflation rate as well because it's stripped of volatile food and energy. So despite the fact that food and energy is probably the most important thing on your grocery list and on your bills for the month, the Fed doesn't give a good goddamn about those prices. Uh, like we've always said, JPEV does want you to be poor. That's why he's been raising rates so much and trying to destroy the labor market. Uh, as we'll see in just a minute, he hasn't done a very good job of doing so, but he has done a great job of quelling inflation. And so that's what we got again on Friday. Uh, JPEV was flexing his abs in the form of about 2% inflation for uh, kind of across the board. To get into the numbers a little bit more specifically, headline PCE for the month increased 0.2%. That was 2.6% for the entire year from December 22 to December of 2023. Core PCE also grew at the same rate for the year, but stripping food and energy prices, we got a little bit more of a bump in inflation to that 2.9% level. Keep in mind, that's the annual rate from December 22 to December 23. But if we look at some rolling inflation rates, right, we have uh, the six-month rolling rate, which is at about 1.86%. So it's right at that Goldilocks level. Core That's core PCE, by the way. Core PCE for the past rolling six months is at 1.86%, while headline PCE inflation is at 2.01% for the past rolling six months. Now, there is a million ways to quantify inflation. The slice and dice, you can change up the things in your basket. You can change up your time period. It really depends on quite a lot. And that's why we have to look at inflation reports with a bit of a skeptical lens, because as Milton Friedman said, nobody truly understands inflation. It's one of those uh, economic phenomenon nobody really gets. And because economics is absolutely not a hard science like physics or chemistry or anything like that, we can't yet explain everything that goes on. So uh, Milton Friedman is very famous for stating that nobody truly understands inflation. And so that's why there's a million different ways to slice and dice it. They all have different kind of use cases, but uh, we wanted to give you guys some very broad overviews. And so using those rolling averages is definitely a great way to kind of quantify it over time a little bit more. And if we are using those lower averages or those longer averages, we're at 2%. We're at 2% inflation rate. And to me, that suggests that you know, I think we're at a soft landing here. I mean, I'm definitely not the guy to be calling the soft landing. We'll take a look for the uh, NBER report. Uh, that would be identifying that kind of stuff. But it seems like we're definitely moving in that direction. And this is confirmed by the changes in personal incomes while inflation has been downtrending. Typically, what we see is when an economy is trying to quell inflation, the Federal Reserve or the central bank of that economy, they're going to jack up rates, they're going to tighten monetary policy and do whatever is in their power to slow economic growth. So with slowing economic growth, typically you see reduced incomes, uh, higher unemployment, stuff like that. We have not seen that stuff while we've been slowing inflation. Unemployment still remains well below 4%. And as we can see here, personal incomes continue to grow in December, accelerating at a 0.3% monthly rate and 4.2% annually. 
So that's growing real incomes right there, even if only by 0.1%. We all know how valuable that 0.1% more groceries, beers, or try to ignite donations to the economy overall is. Uh, so it's always stuff that we love to see. Speaking of which, in even though personal incomes only grew 0.1% for the month, we did see spending rip 0.7% in December, destroying expectations, destroying the 0.4% gains in November. So we're seeing spending increase despite while inflation is going down and while our earnings are still increasing. I mean, it really can't get much better than this, guys. Like, this is exactly what you would want to be seeing in an economy. So the natural question becomes, what's next? If we're at this point where things are all going very well, we're at, you know, good levels with everything, appear to be moving in the right direction with everything, too. But if we go ahead and take a look, we shouldn't get too cocky quite yet. So we're putting a Kim Kardashian-sized butt here because... If you go ahead and take a look at this chart, we're showcasing the inflation trends from 1973 to 1980, overlaid with the past four years of inflation. And we can see that they follow a very similar shape. Essentially, uh, it's a slow climb up, about the same rate on the climb down. And here, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen going forward past, you know, the December rates. Uh, we'll have to wait until about mid-February to get January's updated inflation. But if we go ahead and look at the 1970s period, we can see that inflation got down. Uh, it hit about 12% in the early 1970s and then fell to uh, about 6% or so uh, by the mid-1970s, but then kicked right back up and reached as high as 14% by the time that we were in 1979-1980. So there's very good reason to expect that Jerome Powell would be a little bit nervous about loosening up monetary policy and re-kickstarting inflation once again. He absolutely idolizes Paul Volcker as well. He's one of those uh, Fed chairmen that's an absolute legend in the world of economics and what he did was, uh, in order to quell this inflation that we just talked about in the 1980s, he jacked rates up all the way to 19.1%, was the highest the Fed funds rate effectively uh, effectively got. Uh, that was the only way to destroy inflation. Jay Powell loves that guy. He's definitely motivated by him. It's clearly got balls. I mean, does anybody remember four years ago when he printed $70 trillion out of thin air? Clearly, he does not care what people on the outside are going to be saying. He was even taking some shit talk from the President of the United States the entire time that he was doing that. So don't be surprised if this guy doesn't come out and listen to the market anymore. So uh, like we just talked about with Volcker, we pointed that out in the piece as well. But the big risk here is going to be cutting too early because that absolutely could re-kickstart inflation. We have this chart from Goldman, Bloomberg, and the Chicago Fed working together to showcase that financial conditions have already eased quite a bit. So they expect that to stimulate demand. And given that financial conditions are already easing, they're kind of doing the Fed's job for it. So there's no rush to actually cut those rates. Uh, everybody and their mother knows that there's not going to be any rate cuts at Wednesday's meeting this week, but this could alter the odds for that March meeting as well. We saw a slight reduction in the odds of a 25 basis point cut in March this weekend, according to the CME charts. Definitely something to pay attention to, but that's a quick update on the inflation picture. We'll see exactly what the Fed and Silver Fox, Big Dog, Jay Powell have to say on Wednesday. But for now, let's just go ahead and move into some of the stock movements of the day. Of course, American Express, absolutely ripping. I guess it's apparently a pretty good business model when you're lending to the richest and wealthiest people on the entire planet who would have known. Uh, so when you do things like allow these investors to get into airport lounges, give them $300 credits to SoulCycle, $240 credits to shit like Uber Eats and all that nonsense, of course, they're not going to be too mad at you when you miss earnings. That's exactly what American Express did on Friday. They did miss their earnings for the last quarter by just a little bit. Uh, they reported, you know, 262 on 15.8 billion versus expectations for 264 on 16 billion. But it was really their 2024 guidance that kept the people going, got everybody hyped up because they're expecting to have one hell of a year between about 9 and 11% revenue growth, EPS slightly above estimates as well. Uh, and like we said, lending to the rich and the wealthy. 
definitely the way to go. Moving on down to Airbnb here. Uh, I mean, whenever I go to an Airbnb, the only thing I can think is, damn, you know, this is a great experience. It's a nice hot tub. It's a nice place to be and everything. But I just wish there were more fees. Thankfully, Airbnb did listen to me here because clearly they didn't have enough fees going already. So they went ahead and just added another one here. Now, it is relatively light. It's a 2% fee for currency conversions on international transactions. So if you're paying a post that uses a different currency, essentially Airbnb is going to charge a 2% fee on that transaction. Investors were absolutely hyped up, not necessarily because of this fee itself, but because of what that represents for the company's international push. If they're adding in this new fee, clearly they're going to be leaning into the international market pretty strongly. And that really is kind of the only area for growth for Airbnb, unless they go into an adjacent industry or something like that. But uh, otherwise, they're just competing with Verbo and others here in the United States. And so they're trying to beat them on the international front. This is what led to the strong performance from WSO Alpha on Friday as well. We have a fat position in Airbnb. Uh, definitely one that we're very happy to see, given the company's been able to do things like double net income over the past couple of years and barely got any recognition for it in the stock price. Uh, so that was, of course, fantastic to see. All right, moving on down into our rotten names today here. Let's just absolutely bully these guys. Why not? But Spirit Airlines in particular makes it very easy to bully them. It really is almost poetic on how holding Spirit, share, Spirit Airlines shares has been exactly like taking a flight for them. It's bumpy. You're terrified the entire time. You're pretty sure you're going to go down, crash to zero. Uh, and luckily, their planes haven't done that in quite a while, and the stock hasn't quite yet either. But another 13.4% on Friday, definitely not looking good going forward. Uh, so basically, this was negative news related to their JetBlue merger. It seems like the two are going to be forced to break up, but really, Spirit is broke and JetBlue is up is kind of what's actually going on. Uh, on the news that the merger is probably not actually going to go through, JetBlue rose 3.5%, while Spirit absolutely tanked. Analysts are saying this thing is ripe for bankruptcy, so definitely stay tuned on that. And then, of course, going into Intel, uh, we got a couple of videos to showcase you guys here for Intel. So let me go ahead and pull up this video. This is after their last earnings report of 2023. So this would be following Q3 of 2023. This is Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger. Hopefully you guys can hear the sound here, but you guys know I'm certainly not a technician, but let's try our best and see what he has to say. Technology, major packaging wins, and of course the product execution. You know, clean launch of the AI PC generation, but also the server business, getting back to profitability uh, ahead of schedule and uh, a little bit better performance there and delivering the AI everywhere uh, message with our accelerators, our server product line. So a really excellent quarter. And I'm just so grateful for the Intel team. It's been a journey and we are clearly coming back. All right, so you guys heard it here first. Intel is clearly coming back. Keep in mind that was after Q3 2023, and then the company did just report to close last week, and this is what the CEO had to say on Friday. Pat, the, the stock is down more than 10%. But what is it that the market is not understanding here for Intel? Well, thanks, Ed, and always a pleasure to be with you and Carolyn on the show. You know, first, we finished a great year. We got Q4, uh, beat to top and bottom. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, right? Like he said, we're clearly back. And then, I mean, Pat, the stock is down 10%. They actually almost fell 12% on Friday, losing 11.9% on the day as a result of those earnings. Uh, I mean, it's just, it, fate really does love irony. It's stuff like that that you absolutely love to see. Uh, and really, the company didn't even have a bad quarter. He's not really lying or he's not saying, he's not trying to hype up anything that doesn't deserve to be hyped up already. Intel did have a relatively solid quarter, but their guidance for 2024 was the real problem. 
uh, basically saying Mobileye, that's their self-driving unit or self-driving like uh, minority interest or minority stake that they own an interest in. Programmable chips, PCs, and servers are all expected to lag. It's kind of all the important industries for Intel. So seeing those expected to lag, the market absolutely threw up as a result. Plus, Intel shares have kind of ripped lately, and they've been just climbing quite high over the past couple of weeks. And anytime that a stock is really ripping like this, and then it has you know news going in the opposite direction, it's going to have an outsized, uh, outsized movement in that direction. So we ripped higher, we got some bad news, so it's going to be a more brutal downturn than it probably otherwise would have been if they hadn't ripped so strongly. All right, guys, and then moving on down below to our final story for the day, we have the Thought Banana of absolutely throwing bands here. The people throwing bands just happen to be the largest companies in the entire world, or at least four out of the largest five, being Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, and Google. These companies, once funded by venture capitalists themselves, are now the new VCs on the block, and they are absolutely taken over. We go ahead and take a look at this chart here that was provided from us from uh, you know a, a blessed Twitter user, clearly a great chartist. We can see that the uh, the share of the total investments in the venture capital space for data and AI companies uh, is essentially oh shit I got to share the appropriate tab here. There we go. There's the chart itself. Now you guys can see it. <laughs> uh, so if we go ahead and take a look, we can see the share of investments in the data and AI venture capital space by these four companies. Has absolutely ballooned from you know eight five one percent in the past couple of years to thirty one percent in twenty twenty three. This is easily the biggest area of, of venture capital, especially after the release of ChatGPT in late two thousand twenty twenty two. So, uh, essentially, what we're seeing here is these companies are absolutely dominating the space now. And while that might not seem like too much, you know, absolutely, who cares? It's quite a change of pace within the industry itself. And so. Typically, these venture capital investments uh, can lead to, you know, some serious outsized growth if you're able to get down on the ground level. But in an industry like this, where we have the largest four companies in the world besides Apple, absolutely dominating the early stage venture space, uh, there really doesn't create that opportunity for anybody to get in on board on an early stage. So, because these companies, I mean, even if they're investing in them, even if they don't outright buy them, they're taking up a huge share of the cap table. So reducing the space for other investors to be able to get in on. Plus, this is an industry that is as ripe for consolidation as they get. Classical economic theory suggests that the three biggest things that lead an industry to consolidation is high fixed costs, many small players, and rapid technological change. That defines the artificial intelligence industry. Going to be a lot of consolidation going forward. Seems like the big tech companies are just going to continue to dominate this space. Why should we expect anything less? And I mean, they have made investors a ton of money over time, so I guess we can't really be too mad, but... Our only question now is, are we actually going to see any mega cap or even large cap companies emerge from this AI wave? If so, what's the core product going to be? What's the offering? Is it an LLM? Or is it something that's actually useful in the real world? Who knows? And finally, can VCs catch up and take back control of the space? That's really our biggest question, because after the absolute brutalization that venture capital firms faced with rate hikes in 2022, just being a complete shit show overall, uh, they were recovering in 2023, and that created this opportunity for Companies like NVIDIA that have tripled their net income in like the past five minutes to come in and be able to dominate the space. Uh, so definitely worth paying attention to. Also, shout out to Microsoft for now being the official most valuable company in the entire world. I haven't checked that after Friday's close, so that might not be true depending on how they moved in the open. But definitely go ahead and check out on that. All right, finishing up with a quote from Paul Graham. He's a technologist himself. And he said, investors are pinched between two kinds of fears. Fear of investing in startups that fizzle and fear of missing out on startups that take off. You know, it's the age old question of would you rather uh, take the risk of putting money in and having that money go to zero 
Or would you rather take the risk of not putting any money in and having whatever the investment is absolutely rip without you involved? It's a tough call. It's the age-old question for investors, and Paul Graham laid it out perfectly for us there. Guys, make sure to rate the Daily Peel today as well. Keep in mind I will burn your house down if you put the Rodney app label there, but just tell us how great of a job that we're doing because my ego is too fragile to be able to handle anything else. I mean, J-Pal is clearly pleased with it. I think you guys all should be too. I'm definitely pleased to have had you all here with us today as always. Shout out to everybody for joining the live. Thank you guys for keeping us here, keeping it interesting, and of course, keeping us on our toes. Uh, and shout out to everybody else listening on the podcast. Maybe we'll see you on the live someday. But everybody, have a great Monday, have a great week, and we'll see you tomorrow. Happy trading, guys. Bye now. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.